Can I start with, I guess, a general question? Do you think wealth inequality is just simply a natural byproduct of the capitalist model? Uh, wealth inequality is a byproduct of all models. Even in communist Russia, there was considerable wealth inequality and the special um, lanes for um, high-class uh, apparatchiks. Uh, in fact, capitalism tends to reduce inequality, and you've seen the biggest reduction in wealth inequality globally uh, since 1980, when China opened up and became more capitalist. So uh, it's not quite as simple as you may want to push me towards. It is fair to say, though, that we have seen in advanced Western economies um, a much greater concentration of wealth in a much smaller number of hands. And so in the US, we've seen that for several decades now, um, in the UK, particularly in the last decade. Um, so, for example, the top 10 percent in the UK own about 45 percent of all the wealth um, and the poorest 50 percent own less than 10 percent. And that does strike me as being quite a significant uh, level of inequality. Do you think this is something that we should be focusing on? Should we be concerned by it? First of all, I'd question your starting point because you're saying that it has got more unequal. But actually, if you go back to the days of the Rockefellers in the United States, the concentration of wealth as a percentage of GDP was higher then than it is now. If you go back to land ownership in the United Kingdom in the late 19th century, it was much more concentrated and most wealth was in the land uh, then than it is now. So as societies become more capitalist, more opportunities have opened up, people have got better off. And I think the challenge for government, as Margaret Thatcher always said, is to encourage the poor to become richer, and that is not done by making the rich poorer. We've seen over the last decade, and particularly since the financial crash, um, more of a focus on wealth inequality, um, and also increasing calls for ways of uh, narrowing that gap. And so that has included the idea about wealth taxes, and, and that varies obviously from a, a percentage charge on net wealth to inheritance tax or property land taxes. Do you think there is any scope for introducing wealth taxes? And if not, what do you think the dangers of doing so are? Um, first, a point on uh, what's happened since the crisis. You're right that since the crisis there's been more of a focus on it, but we're actually at the lowest levels of inequality in the United Kingdom since the early 1980s. So if that's the metric that you're most concerned about, that things have been moving in the direction of less inequality. Uh, on the issue of taxes, you need to decide what the tax system is there for. Is it there to redistribute as a good thing in its own right, or is it there to have redistribution as a byproduct of achieving other aims, that is, say, a basic standard of living for people on welfare, a national health system, an education system, and so on? And in my view, it's the latter, not the former. And therefore, the aim of the tax system is to raise the money that you need to pay for the services that you want with the least damaging economic consequences. And on that basis, you should work out where taxes should fall. And so, I mean, for example, uh, we spoke to Richard Leonard, the uh, leader of the Scottish Labour Party, and he is proposing introducing a tax on uh, the richest 10% in Scotland, a one-off windfall tax, precisely because of the need to raise greater revenue to support those public services that you just mentioned yourself there. What do you think the potential impact of introducing a one-off windfall wealth tax could be? 
One-off windfall taxes on wealth are extremely silly because you've got annual expenditure needs that are not met by a one-off windfall tax, and you can't tax uh, wealth every year at the level required for a windfall tax. So um, what you do is you have a lot of money in one year, you hugely distort the economy, you have a very profound effect on asset prices because suddenly a lot of people with assets need to turn them into cash and have to uh, therefore liquidate their assets. Uh, that inevitably on a supply and demand basis has an effect on prices um, and is very economically distortive. So it's the worst economic approach to raising revenue. What about then if you did go for something like Switzerland or, or Norway has, uh, which is a annual, uh, relatively low, so often below 1% uh, charge on net assets, and that would provide a, an ongoing level of income um, and potentially sends out quite a strong message actually uh, around fairness and, and progressive taxation. Would that not be an opportunity? I don't think taxation is about sending out messages. It's about raising the money that the government needs with the lowest economic consequence. Now, what are the difficulties with capital taxation? If you take capital gains tax, it's voluntary, that people don't have to sell the capital that requires the tax. If it's a tax on assets, it doesn't have a cash flow that goes with it, and therefore you have difficulties in terms of how the tax uh, is paid. If it's a death tax, then it's not voluntary, uh, but it is um, planable around, uh, and there are so many exemptions in terms of death taxes that it becomes a quasi-voluntary tax. And therefore what you find is a lot of effort is spent on tax planning around these taxes because of the disproportionately heavy effect they have on them and that they're not associated with a particular cash flow or if they are the cash flow is voluntary. Could you not though, and, and actually um, an American economist relatively recently has suggested this, that um, if you were to have a wealth tax for those um, assets which are not liquid, so you can't immediately get that revenue from them, um, you could defer it. So you could do a form of, I guess, equity release. And that would be one way of getting around the need to immediately have to pay that, that tax bill at the end of the year. Well, that's possible, but governments need to spend the money in the course of the year. Governments account on an annual basis, not really on a lifetime basis, and therefore promising tax receipts that may come in decades hence, when markets may have changed fundamentally and the asset may not be worth what it was worth at the point at which uh, it was assessed, is not, I think, a very sensible way of uh, proceeding. And that most assets have some income associated with them, and therefore it's much simpler to um, assess the income rather than to assess the asset. And that what you want in a capitalist system is that capital should be deployed as efficiently as possible. And anything that discourages people from deploying their asset efficiently m gives you less economic growth. So capital gains tax is a bad tax because it encourages people to hold assets that they ought to realize to reinvest the money in other activities, potentially new activities, potentially to provide seed funding to new businesses, which gets held back because people hold on to the uh, asset. Death duties have the same effect. Death duties encourage people to own very large quantities of farmland, which are exempt, earning 
relatively low returns uh, rather than to invest in listed equities where the UK has some of the leading businesses in the world which are not exempt. Unlisted equities can be exempt under certain circumstances if they're trading companies but subject to any number of um, limitations and anti-avoidance measures. And so what you find is that you simply make the economy grow less well and therefore there's less money for everybody. The ease of income and expenditure taxes is that there's a cash flow associated with them and therefore they are less painful. On capital gains, is it really um, fair to tax income derived from um, things like stocks and shares at a lower rate than income that is derived from labour. So, so essentially, is it fair that we treat unearned income more favourably in the tax system than we treat uh, earned income? And indeed, the Murleys review that the IFS, Institute for Fiscal Studies, um, sponsored a few years ago, suggested that this was a very bad way of designing a tax system and you should be much more neutral in your approach to where the source of that income comes from. The problem with that is that capital gains tax is voluntary and people don't have to realise the gain and therefore the tax doesn't crystallise and therefore if the rate is too high people simply don't realise the gain. Um, If you take the residential property rate of 28%, you have to assume that you will make um, a return that will get your 72% back up to 100% in the fairly short term just to stand steady. So before you sell a property that is subject uh, to capital gains tax, you've got to think that you've got an investment that will get you that highly superior return in pretty short order to make the transaction worth doing. Therefore, most sensible people do not carry out the transaction. Therefore, they leave their money in less productive assets. So I think we're confusing two things. We're confusing fairness, which is a matter of outcome, with Um, means of getting there, which is a process. The process of taxation should be to raise the funds that you want, as I said before, with the least damaging economic consequence. The outcome is that, yes, of course you want to ensure that people are able to maintain a reasonable standard of living, that there is a health service and the public services are are funded. But that is a morally neutral um, uh, fund situation. It's not that if you get it from capital gains tax and pay the health service that way, it's morally good. And if you get it from income tax, it's morally bad. It's entirely morally neutral. There was um, one recent study that looked at different OECD countries um, that had had wealth taxes and ones that hadn't, um, and actually tried to assess the impact on investment as a result of having wealth taxes. And actually what it showed was that the wealth tax had no direct impact on investment, though it did have a slight, much, much lower uh, impact than most people suggest, uh, uh, impact on growth, and that might then have a subsequent knock-on effect on investment. But but there was no direct impact on investment as a result of having wealth taxes, which which slightly suggests that the the age-old argument that if we tax wealth, then you know we're going to see unproductive capital investment, or, or we're going to see a a wealth flight, a millionaire flight, is perhaps not quite what's been made out. Um. It depends so much on the details of the study and whether in the countries in which the wealth taxes were being exercised they were actually paid. 
that wealth taxes are notorious for the level of avoidance and indeed outright evasion that they suffer from, which is one of the other disadvantages of them that uh, is, is the picture hanging up in your um, bedroom uh, an original Van Gogh or is it a copy? Uh, if it's a copy there's very little tax to pay, if it's an original there's quite a lot and therefore there's a lot of um, um, fancy footwork around those taxes. I think the other thing is that uh, it's very hard to isolate the overall effects in complex tax systems of one tax against another. What you can do is look at the revenues that have been raised in the UK from, for example, capital gains tax, and you notice that when the rate was pushed up to 28%, the government at the time admitted this was a suboptimal rate for the amount of revenue that it would raise, and has subsequently reduced the rate because it wants to raise more money. Now, what I'm saying about capital taxes is that they are suboptimal, but that doesn't mean there's no place for them at all. The aim is to raise the tax you need with the least economic consequence. I therefore do not object to the quarter of a percent stamp duty on share transactions, which raises some money for the government, is pretty painless in terms of the competitiveness of the City of London. If it were 1%, it would be catastrophic. But at a quarter of a percent, 25 basis points, it's manageable. Same is true of property stamp duties. They've gone crazy and are having a very damaging effect on the property market. But at the 1, 2, even 3% level, stamp duties worked very well. They were transactions that needed to take place. They didn't particularly distort the market. They brought in some element of revenue for the government. That's perfectly sensible. The difficulty with the penal rates you get as symbols of virtue are that they don't help economically, they don't raise any money, and they distort investment. You mentioned um, inheritance tax, which is often one of the taxes people come back to, not least, as you pointed out, because you can, you can, I mean, slightly more easily get the money because the person has passed away at that point. Um, it's one of the areas, though, that conservatives have typically been very hostile to uh, in death taxes. <coughs> Do you think, though, in the current climate where we do have very concentrated wealth and where um, we do have people calling for greater social mobility in this country, um, do you think there is an argument actually for increasing inheritance tax? Oh, no. Um, I, I think that inheritance tax is uh, too high and is a very ineffective tax that cr catches a very small number of people um, that if you're married, you don't pay it. Uh, if you have under whatever the current exemption is, but about £300,000, you don't pay it a million pounds for a couple is m what it's moving towards. Um, if it's in your primary residence, which was one of the silliest exemptions ever thought up, which just encourages elderly people to live in the largest house they can possibly afford to gain the tax exemption, and everybody knew that was a silly thing to do when the then-Chancellor did it. Um, uh, that if you put it up further, you just hit this middle group of people who have a little bit more than the limit, but don't have so much that they've gone and bought a thousand acres of farmland, which is exempt. Uh, and if you have the current system of very high rates but lots of exemptions, you have the maximum distortion and the maximum randomness of effect on a small number of people, mainly homeowners in the southeast of England, whose properties have gone up very substantially over their lifetime. I, I think 
it would be difficult, it would be politically very difficult to abolish death duties currently. But if you look at it from the least damaging economic approach that I've been advocating, I think you would want to have many fewer exemptions but a 5% rate. And then you might actually raise some money from it because it would be easier for people to pay the tax than to make the necessary investments to avoid it. Given the seeming rise of populism, um, both in America and, and across Europe, and the fact that one of the drivers of that does seem to be a sense that uh, capitalism is not delivering prosperity for all. Um, we've seen you know, a decade of stagnating wages, and yet CEO pay seems to be doing very well, increasing, um, and wealth again being concentrated. If wealth taxes are not one of the ways of tackling this, this growing inequality, do you think that there are other things that countries should be doing which will ensure that greater prosperity is shared between a greater number of people? Oh, undoubtedly. I think it's very interesting that Trump, who is perhaps the poster boy for populism, has introduced a very major tax-cutting reform. He hasn't thought the answer is penal taxes. He's thought that his base wants lower taxes. But I think Brexit is the great opportunity for this. We should shift the current appetite of government to put the producer first and put the consumer first. And what the European Union does is it puts the producer first who pay thousands, millions of pounds to lobbyists in Brussels to pass regulations that makes goods more expensive, that protects incumbents, makes business less efficient, closes out competitors from the rest of the world. If we leave the European Union out of the customs union, scrap tariff and non-tariff barriers, the evidence is this would substantially improve the standard of living of the poorest who get hit most by this because the barriers hit food, clothing, and footwear at the most, which are the highest proportion of the expenditure of the poorest in society. This is a really exciting opportunity, and it's about thinking, who are my voters? My voters are individuals. They are not corporations. It's, for want of a better slogan, the Teddy Rooseveltization uh, of politics. It's breaking down the trusts, breaking down the corporations, to have a really cosy relationship in Brussels and have regulated things to their advantage and the disadvantage of uh, the consumers and particularly the poor consumers.